Again, I am uh, I'm always humbled um, to be able to um, preach, but to be able to come back home to where uh, um, you're known, um, the good and the bad. Um, um, you know, uh, and again, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, many of you all, uh, some of you I don't know, and, and some of you uh, have taken the time to pour into my life, uh, to point me to Christ, uh, to teach me uh, what it means to see examples of loving God, and I appreciate uh, my church family. I appreciate getting to uh, grow up with others that we've all gotten older, and we have stories to tell, and Jesus has changed all of us, and so I'm very thankful uh, for that. Um, you know, um, I remember at one point in time, uh, as I grew up uh, just right down the road, um, I had three acres uh, to be able to play on on this property. Uh, technically, it was five, but I was not allowed to go towards the road. Um, I guess my mother thought um, I'd get run over. Nobody would want to take me, but, you know, but maybe I'd get run over. And so um, I remember playing, and I had my dog, and uh, it was a, an August day. Um, or September, but for some reason I wanted to put on my heavy coat, and so I wandered out, and I was playing in the field, and I started going along the fence line, and as I went along the fence line, we had a, uh, we had a fireplace in the house, um, and we had, there was some wood that had been chopped, and, but we hadn't used that fireplace, and it's, it's probably been a, years, it had been years, and so I started to climb over uh, these logs, and as I climbed on them, um, you know, I'm just a kid. My dog, we're exploring, and I'm not thinking about anything, and I climb on it, and when I stepped on one of them, it, it, it fell through. It crushed. And as I'm looking at it, all of a sudden, these really big flies just start to fly around. And I'm like going, that's really weird, you know, to see flies flying around the log. You know, that's really, really strange. And then all of a sudden, I found out very quickly they were not flies. Um, Hornets, bees, whatever they were, but they began to just sting me, and it was uh, terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying, and I began to run towards the house, um, and as I was running towards the house, um, I not, well, I, I, I threw open the door, and of course, my mom was working at this point in time. I don't know where my sister was, but as I throw open the door, I throw it open, screaming, and I'm just standing there going, Aah! And the babysitter is like going, I'm not paid enough for this. You know, like I am not paid enough for this today. And so she quickly grabbed, I don't know how she did it, but she got my coat off of me and threw it off there and, 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 and shut the door and, and slammed it. And there was only a couple of whatever they were, a hornets. And, and by the end of the time, um, I had only really been stung just a couple times. That coat had really protected me. I don't know why I wore it in August other than honestly just God's grace, but it's really important how we view things. I knew it was going to happen. For the last hour we've been arguing with this thing, the last 30 minutes. A loud voice, we're just going to go from there. I appreciate everybody's help today. I knew it was going to happen. All right. That's my spot. Yeah, oh, is it, is it off now? So, it's important how we view things. It's important that we see the seriousness, seriousness of things. It's important how we look at things. Because if we don't view things, if I looked at that log and I'm like going, it's not a big deal, it doesn't matter, what did I find out? It was a big deal. 
Just because I wanted to view it as not, it ended up becoming very serious. Church, I want to bring this up today as we go. And as you go to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it's important how we view our sin. It's important how we view our sin. And I'll say this, even as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's important how we see our sin. Because if we don't see it accurately, we will miss the ability to grow, mature, and to walk with the God who has saved us in a mature and complete way. I want us to pray together this morning as we go. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a holy God. We thank you that you are a God full of grace. And Lord, as we come before you today, there are many things that we have dealt with this week, things that we have carried individually as a church family. But Lord, what we're asking for this morning is that you help us to lay things down to just be in your presence. Lord, to encounter your grace, your encouragement, your conviction. Lord, to know you as Father in the ways that you tell us that you are. So Lord, that we are continually being transformed as we are repentant, confessional, obedient, and understanding your grace and your love. Lord, we know that you've been asked to be here today. And so, Lord, we continue to ask, open our hearts and our minds to what you want today. Not what I preach, not what's been sung, but, Lord, what you want to do to speak to each of your people today and us as your church. And it's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's read as we go through this this morning. This is Luke chapter 7. I want to read through the entire passage, starting in verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, meaning Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from that time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. <clears throat> For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
See, here we have Jesus, and Jesus has been teaching earlier. Because if you go back at the beginning of Luke 7, <clears throat> Luke 7 and 21, a couple of John's disciples have come and, and asked, are you the one? And Jesus has been healing, he's been opening the eyes of the blind, and he's been preaching the good news. And through all this that he's done, that there's been people watching him, trying to observe, who is this? Some people are excited. Some people are very skeptical. And so this Pharisee asks him, I want you to come and eat with me. I want you to show up to my house. Now, what's interesting in this moment that the way that we look at the house at this point in time is that it would seem to be that they're not just in a home, but that this is kind of an, a, a place where anybody could walk in. With the Pharisee being a, a high-profile type person, that the banquet table that they're eating, people would lay down and, and they would lay down while they're eating. I was... <laughs> like this, they would eat, okay? That's how they do it. Now, for us, we see the European paintings of everybody of sitting in chairs and things. That's not what they're doing, okay? They're laying down and they're eating there, okay? And so what would happen is as they're eating in the middle part, some people would walk in and they would sit around the outside away from the table and they would hear the discussions that's going on. They would see what's taking place. So when this woman decides to walk in, it's not that awkward that just people would randomly, because it's not like in their house, it's in the seating area where they're eating. Anybody could come and sit down, but she's different. Because when she walks in, one, she doesn't sit in the background. She doesn't sit there to listen to what's going on. She comes in to acknowledge in a form of worship of God, even though we know that she fully doesn't know that Jesus is God in flesh, but she's heard the good news. And as she comes in, she begins to, as Jesus is reclining, she's down here at his feet, washing and anointing. Why is she doing this? Because as she has heard the good news, and we hear she's a sinner. She is a sinner. It doesn't say what it is, but we can guess the various things of what she's done in her life. Whether that be adultery, prostitution, whatever other things that it could be in this moment. But it seems to be that this woman, she knows how she has gone It's important as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we don't start taking our sin for granted like somehow it doesn't matter. I think there are many times as Christians of we want to get past what we've done wrong to get to the celebration of the, of the resurrection, which is a good thing. We'll go through that. But church, I will tell you right now, if we forget the price that our sin took to be paid for, we sometimes get a little nonchalant in our lives about how we live. We tend to not think that our sin is that big of a deal. We tend to not look at it as something that has offended a holy God. What does it take in order for sin 
to be dealt with. We come to church. We give money. We pray and say we're sorry. Is that what it takes to take care of sin? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's what the Bible tells us. Without the shedding of blood. The Old Testament, we have this not the same as a human in value, but an innocent animal. Man is the epitome. But here we have this innocent animal that's not done anything. Taking the place. And even that animal's blood couldn't take away the sin. It could just cover it up, right? Every year it had to be shed. Every year it had to be laid out. It should have been in that moment. It was a reminder for the people. For the high priest, for everyone in this moment, a reminder. This was caused by me. When we recognize the weight of our sin, and we don't just try to say, oh, I messed up, I'm sorry, I'll just do better. But when we recognize the gravity of it, of sin, Keeps us in a humble moment towards God of dependency. I need you desperately. I need you. I need you desperately. See, the woman, as the good news was preached, she came in. She began to take this expensive ointment and she began to Anoint Jesus. Things. But what did the Pharisee do? It was his home. He was to show, supposed to show basic hospitality, was he not? Basic hospitality. A bowl there, a servant there to wash feet. Something to take away the day's grime. Just basic hospitality. See, the Pharisees' attitude in that moment, let's inviting Jesus in order to dialogue and talk about God and to go into deeper things. He was there to keep an eye on him. He's not really that great of a person because he's done this wrong and he's done this wrong. His attitude was not there of fellowship and worship. Or he would have had the hospitality. It would have been right. But he's been. Sin. You would think. That the teacher of the law. Would have first said. Huh. This is strange. That she's coming here. I wonder why she's here. She's weeping. She's crying. She's doing this. Maybe I should ask some questions. About what's taking place with her. But he didn't recognize his own sin. His own sin. It's not as bad as she shouldn't be here. It's not as bad as, as mine. It's this. Can't be around people like this.
do we recognize the gravity of our sin? If you're, and, and watch this, if you don't know Jesus today, you understand that just your sin doesn't make you a bad person. It's the evidence that you are dead in your trespasses. You're an enemy of God. An enemy of God. And that God, little sin, big sin, however you want, God doesn't break our sin. Sin is sin against God. We have, we have sinned against a perfect, almighty, holy creator. And if you are saying, in your, if you are just sitting there in this moment and you're saying, yeah, but I haven't done what somebody else has done, you don't understand the gravity of your sin. You think that it's about comparison to other people is what God's looking for. What God's looking for is this, how do you compare to Him? If I compare myself to other people, sometimes I do better, sometimes I do worse. Usually I compare myself to people I think I do better, right? I'm going to make sure that if I compare myself to the right people, it's going to be me coming out on top. I don't like to compare myself against my mom at times. But she's got flaws. My mother is sick. But I don't like to compare myself against her because I watch how she handles herself and what she does and, and things that goes on this way. But I'll compare myself against some other people because I'm like going. <laughs> but when I compare myself against God, I can't even come close to him. This is who we compare ourselves to. And Christian, this is what I mean. If somehow we have forgotten the gravity of our sin, that we forget what we were forgiven of, this is the mentality. There were two debtors. One had 500, one had 50. Both of them forgiven. Which one would love more? The one that had the 500 denarii forgiven, right? Now let me ask you a question in all actuality. Which one had the greater debt? The Pharisee or the sinful woman? I have a feeling that both of their debt was the same. He just didn't realize his debt was that much. Do you think he had less sin? Do you think the Pharisee actually had less sin? He just didn't recognize his sin. As it goes on, when we recognize our sin before God, it doesn't make us live in guilt and shame. In fact, the Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is for those who are in Christ? How much condemnation? Zero. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't walk around in shame. I walk around in gratefulness. Because I have been forgiven. I am no longer a sinner. But God calls me a child of God. But that's if I have my perspective right. When I recognize the weight of my sin and what Christ has done for me that I don't I should be grateful. I should be grateful. I should be grateful. What's gratefulness look like? Let's think about this. If I'm grateful for what's been done, what does gratefulness look like for you? I'll just ask a question. Facebook. 
If somebody's really stepped up for you and really helped you, how do you respond to them? What do you do? Sean, don't ask questions. You're not supposed to in church. I get it. I understand. I don't What do you do when somebody's done something for you? Pay them back? What else? Thank them? What else? Take them out to eat, say thank you. How many times when somebody has done something for you that all of a sudden you're like going, you bring it up like 15, 20 times every time you see them. I just want you to know thank you so much. Thank you. You know, it's all good and everything. I said, two months later, Ed sees her. Oh my God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're like going, I don't even know why that's important, but it was important, right? Because they, it meant something to them. They're grateful. They're thankful. Now, what about what happens when somebody does something and they're not grateful? What's it look like? Take it for granted. Watch this. Sometimes you've done something for somebody, and all of a sudden they come back, and they're like going, what if you can help me again? And there's times where you're like going, I don't know if I want to. Whether it's right or wrong, because of them being ungrateful. Church, when we recognize the gravity of our sin and what it cost, we were enemies deserving of God's wrath, and yet his grace steps in because of who he is and chooses to die for sinners and chooses to offer forgiveness for those that do not deserve it. When we recognize this, and there's this recognizing the gravity of our sin before God, do not take it for granted, then there is this gratefulness. Think about this woman. She comes in. She doesn't care what anybody's thinking. she's a sinner but she knows that she's been forgiven she goes before jesus she, everybody's looking she doesn't care takes the alabaster or goes to weeps over him because she is grateful for the one that has given the good news church i want to ask a question has jesus changed your life I'm going to ask you a tough question. How's that look? How's your gratefulness look like during the pandemic? You can't ask questions like that, John. <laughs> That's not the same. That's not the same. You know why? I will say this. Because at times we think we, des we don't deserve things. We are like going, I don't deserve this. This is my best time right now. I shouldn't have to put off 18 months in this pandemic. I had this planned and this planned and this planned and this planned. I shouldn't have to go to I deserve better. I'm sick of this and I'm sick of that. I don't deserve anything. Zero. I know it's complicated and we're all still trying to figure out how to navigate and what to do. But I will tell you right now, church, the Christian doesn't sit there. The Christian in this moment is like, You know what? I've also realized this. Church, did you know right now we can be as frustrated as we want in the pandemic? And I know for some of you, you're like going, Sean, I could care less that you're sharing this. That's okay. I get it. I understand. Right now in America and other places right now, we're talking about, you know, this, this, this pandemic's been horrible. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. Did you know right now that there are 
um, because of the way that COVID worked in other countries, because this has affected our own state, uh, that the gospel has gone free in other countries because usually they're being policed. Usually they're being shut down. Usually if they gather together, they're coming to arrest them. They're coming to do things. Did you know that in some of this right now, because the government's been shut down in other places, that the gospel has gone wild in other places? Did you know about that? And you know what? I'll tell you right now. When we recognize right now the gratefulness of going on, as a sinner, I'm just thankful of what God does in my life. I'm grateful. Because if all I can think about is all these things that affect my life, and I can't do what I want to do, and, I don't, and we could care less, you're like a Pharisee looking at the sinful woman. All that matters is me. Do you want to understand how you can make great things in this world? The woman is grateful. She's thankful. She's worshiping God. She's going through all these moments. But the Pharisee, what's the Pharisee do? He keeps pointing at her. He keeps looking at her. This concept of cancel culture that we have that's been trying to be brought out, you know what I mean by cancel culture? How many of y'all understand when I say cancel culture? Cancel culture in the Christian worldview is unbiblical. It's an abomination. It's against the scriptures. Because what it says in this moment, and I'll just give an example. So you find out that somebody said something 15 years ago. Tweeted something, said something, put it on a video. It gets resurfaced. And then all of a sudden, somebody goes, that's what they said. And it can be horrible of what they said. I mean, it can be absolutely atrocious. We're not talking about this. What we're asking the question is this. Have they changed their mind? Have they become different? It's this, you blew it, I stand on the highest horse, you can never recover from this. You will always be a Pharisee. You said this horrible thing, you can never, ever change. What was the Pharisee doing? If Jesus knew what type of woman that was, he's not even a prophet, because a prophet would know who that is. He's not even a real teacher, he would know who that type of woman is. Cancel culture is nothing new. It's always existed. But here's the problem. This is the problem with cancel culture. If you're going to put that standard, aren't you going to be canceled at some point? Is something from your past going to come up against you and all of a sudden begin to say, thing when we recognize the gravity of our sin we look at this from this christian worldview that god's given us that it makes us grateful and how do we show our gratefulness not only of obedience to god and saying god that's not who i am anymore because you changed me i don't want to live like that anymore because i'm 
so grateful that you chose to not strike me down and to cast me away and cast me into hell. You redeemed me, adopted me, called me your child. And I'm so grateful to be different. And Lord, you're going to have to help me because I still struggle and I still have tendencies. But God, I'm grateful and I want to be different as you're changing me. But what's the Pharisee do? He's not grateful. He's condemning. Not only that, church, but when I'm grateful for what God's done for me, I have this amazing way of actually giving grace to people. Not because they deserve it, because I was given grace. How, much of you, how many of y'all deserve grace from God? How many of y'all? Please don't raise your hand. Just to make sure. I didn't want to throw anybody on the spot. But none of us in here deserve grace, right? What have I deserved? What have I deserved? deserve grace, I've been given grace. Hey church, if I'm thankful, I recognize the gravity of my sin and I'm grateful, not only do I want to be different because God's changed my life to be more obedient to Him, but also this, I want to love people the way that I've been loved. I want to love people the way that I've been loved. How well y'all love on the opposite political party side, huh? Oh, we'll get in a fight now. Hey, church, we need to disagree on ideology. We need to love people. When's the last time you prayed for the person you've been complaining about on the political perspective? Uh, for, uh, I used the wrong word. Political. The opposite end of the spectrum. How many of you all, how many of you all, I'm going to ask you an honest question. How many of you all, as Christians, you say that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a Bible believer. How many of you all have prayed for the person you complained about Prayed about them more than you complained about them more. Prayed for them more than you complained about I think that we have a problem not remembering our sin. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm not saying that I got it all figured out. And in fact, the Bible tells me to pray for my enemies. How well you doing? Don't raise your hand, right? Church, I'm tell- this is the reason why I bring it up. Because we keep thinking it's about them out there. Church, God's trying to get us to recognize. Just as the woman recognized her sin, she became changed, grateful, moving out. But sometimes we act like the daggone Pharisee. We keep acting like they're the Pharisee when it's us. But this world would be dramatically changed if we would realize that it's not going to be we need Christians in political things. We need Christians in the midst of all this. We need Christians in the midst. Nothing's going to change unless we focus on the kingdom things of the church. It's not going to happen. The Great Commission was what was going to change the world, not political ideologies. And they're important. Christians need to be involved in that. But that's not what's going to change the world. It never has. Did you know that the greatest movement of the church, one of the greatest movements of the church was in the first couple of centuries when there was pagan emperors on the throne of Rome and the church went wildfire. Why? Because they weren't trying to change the government. 
changed everything. Church, I think we sometimes forget this. When's the last time you prayed for your enemy? I mean, inconsistently. Because somebody that recognizes the gravity of their sin before God, they express gratefulness for the forgiveness of their sin by being more obedient to what God's calling them to be and by how they love others because of how they've been loved by God. This is a fact. The woman's been forgiven. She loves Jesus. She's not looking at anybody else. But the Pharisee is, and he's supposed to be a teacher of the law. Now, real quick, let me digress just real quick on this. Sometimes, church, we get into this moment where we say, okay, well, Christians aren't supposed to judge. Judge not, yes, to be judged. No judging. You don't judge, I don't judge, don't judge. That's not what the Bible says. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to look at each other. We are called to, but we don't judge each other on somehow it's my standard and I'm above you. It's on God's standard. This is what plays out. Because when we think about even church discipline, which we don't look at much anymore, we don't play out. Church discipline is not about a bunch of people standing there talking all high and mighty. It's about this. I have my struggles and trouble. You have your struggles. Let's go together to God. Let's go together and encourage each other. We both need to get away from our sin and we need to go to God. Because if somebody chooses in this moment where they're like going, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm forgiven, and I'm going to live however I want. It doesn't matter. That's that moment where they're saying, I don't want to comply to God. It's not the church making it. It's saying, we all have to fit under one standard. It's not my standard. It's not your standard. It's God's standard. And the judgment is not a judgment of, I'm better than you. The judgment is, God tells us we can be better than what we can be. This is what happens. But too many times, and saying, I got my issues. What about you? Let's go to Christ together. This is what happens in this moment. Now, this is the last part as we come down to this point. When I recognize the gravity of my sin and recognize what I should have deserved, and yet God, through His grace and what He's done, of Christ on the cross, dying for sinners, the good news that's preached makes me grateful for the forgiveness of my sin. Here we have two debtors. One has 500, cent or 500 denarii debt. One has 50. They're both forgiven. Why was the woman forgiven? Because she loved? We're not forgiven because of what we do. We're forgiven by what he's done. Don't get it reversed and say, well, I'm going to be a better person. That's not how Christianity works. You don't go to God with what you've done. By faith, you receive what Christ has done because that's, that's all that you need. I can, the only thing I can do is receive what Christ has done. This is what the woman does. She receives what Christ has done. As she does this, though, Jesus tells her, see what she's done. Because of the change that's happened in her life, See what she's done towards me. Your attitude, just even on the basic hospitality, you don't even think about it. You're so far away. But then he says this. He says, your sins are 
You know, the Bible talks about a lot of times metaphorically that, that uh, it's like Jesus, Jesus forgets our sins. You know, there, there, there seems to be this metaphor at times that Jesus takes and he, he forgets our sins. Um, I just ask a question, how does an all-knowing God forget anything? Right? And, like, if that's true, then he's got, like, a, he's got like a gap of knowledge, like, right after, right after Eve, right? Like, there's a big gap that he doesn't have anything about up to this point because there's a lot of sin going on, right? If he's forgiven a lot of people and given... Here's the thing, church. Metaphorically, what it is is that God doesn't hold our sin against us. He chooses by what we've done to not hold it against us when we receive by faith what Christ has done. He chooses to not hold it against us. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You know, if this woman, let's think about this. Let's understood, she understood the gravity of her sin. And she was very grateful. But she just kept looking at herself as this. I know I've been forgiven, but, but all I'll ever be is just this woman that's blown it. We live under a lot of shame. Why does the Bible say go in peace? Church, I want to share with you right now. Paul, when you look at this, he said, even as he talked about how many sheep are saved, he still uses that title even after he experienced Christ, right? How many sheep are saved? But Paul, in the midst of his gratefulness and everything else, knew that that wasn't his, that wasn't his only defining thing. He could go in peace because Christ had adopted him as a son, forgiven him, and had given him out of this love and grace to be able to move forward in peace. I don't have to worry about my past defining me. doesn't mean there's not consequences. Sometimes we reap what we sow, but that doesn't tell me who I am. I want to ask you a question. Do you walk in this life in peace, or does your past haunt you? Church, I've got good news. When I quit caring about what people are saying and more about what God has done and who he says that I am, I walk a lot more confident. I walk in a lot more peace. Because my identity, I don't get my identity from you all. Now, I struggle with it at times. There are moments, the first time I came back with Brother Popham here and I was asked to preach, part of my concern was this, I wonder if anybody's going to like Can I be that honest? What is my church family that I grew up with? Are they going to think he's a great preacher? You know, he's amazing. He blew me away. Is he, is he going to be, I remember him as a little kid, but, you know, he's the greatest now. And, and you know, and, you know what, and what I've realized is this. Why does it matter what you think? Because at the end of the day, all I have to do is make sure that God is pleased with me. Most boring revival that's ever been in this church ever. 
I'm not asking. We don't need to bring it up, okay? Don't need to bring it up, Joe. Joe's got the best memory. Most boring revivalist I'd ever heard in my entire life. When we got into like week three or, or day three or whatever it was, and I came down to the altar. I'd been dealing with conviction for years. And I received the Lord Jesus Christ. My life was changed by a man in that moment who chose to take on this calling to just be obedient what God had him to do. First three days, I thought he was boring. The fourth day after I got saved, he was still boring. <laughs> but the gospel is not about the person. It's about the message of God. See, church, here's what I'm telling you right now. As long as God is pleased with me, it doesn't matter what anyone says. Because I can go in peace Today, are you caught up in your sin wondering what everybody else is thinking? You don't have any peace. You know why? Because you keep giving your peace to somebody else other than God who loves you. You fear men more than you fear God. Instead of it being this, God, I care more about what you think of me. I've recognized I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising me from the dead. Thank you for continuing to transform me. Thank you for adopting me and calling me a child of God. Thank you for being your son, your daughter. Thank you in this moment that I'm a saint. And there's moments that I don't look like it. But I'm a saint not by what I do, but by what you've done. And God, I'm starting to look more and more like you. Why? Because I'm grateful and I'm thankful and you're not done with me yet. Go in peace. Why? Because the debt's been paid. And I don't have to pay it anymore. It's been paid in full. And now, out of thankfulness and gratefulness, I get to go in peace with God. Church, I'll ask you this morning. Christian. Christian. How do you view your sin now? Do you take God's grace for granted? That you may just continue on in sin and allow the grace to continue? Or do you sit there and say, by no means. So I look at it this way. You hate it. I know I'll never be perfect, but God, I want to take it. You hate it. But I want to be reminded that you love me and forgive me. I don't want to take my sin for granted. It is still God's people. I want to repent every day. I want to confess every day. And I don't want to give any room to somehow live in a lifestyle that's unpleasing to God. If you, if you want to struggle with being a liar, as a Christian, you can't make excuses for that. God, break this up. I don't want to take this for excuse. The gravity of my sin, God still hates sin. But the gratitude of what he does, it changes my life. And I walk differently. I talk differently. I look differently. I'm not perfect, but I've been changed. And today, if you don't know Jesus, and this is what I ask of you today. Today, if you don't know Jesus. heaven because they're pretty good let me just give you a baseline everybody that's born is destined for hell everybody if they come and wake up to acknowledge their sin they're destined for hell there's no one that's born that gets to be a certain age of, of, of 10 and 15 and all of a sudden it's like going no the, 
born destined for hell. You're born a sinner. You're born an enemy of God. This is the disease of sin. People don't get in trying to be better. You're born an enemy of God. That is what it is. You're born into sin. And yet, because God loved us so much, he chose to come to earth as a human to be amongst sinners, to redeem sinners, and he went back to feel the wrath of God. And those that put their faith in Christ and what he's done, his perfection, his death, his resurrection on the cross, and I put faith in Christ, that righteousness is then imputed, is given to me. And I am following him being different. If you don't know Jesus today, don't make your observation on thinking that you're a good person. You're not. I wasn't a good person. I'm not a good person now, but I've been redeemed and God's changing me to become more like him. Do you know Jesus Christ? Church, are you living in gratefulness? What does this look like? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I thank you that you are a God, that you remind us of how good you are. Father, that you remind us of how wicked sin is. And Father, that you show us by your great love not just by saying it, but by your action of laying down your life, the shedding of your blood, and by your resurrection, that anyone can be redeemed. Father, help us to be a people that prays for our enemies. Help us to be a people that is grateful because of where we've been, but where you're taking us. Lord, help us to be a people that looks more like you and loves more like you because of what you've done in our life. And Father, forgive us for looking down on people, for pointing the finger at people. Father, forgive us for at times when we've wanted to cancel people, when, Lord, you've never canceled us. Lord, whatever you need to do in our lives right now, that we would all be open in hearts and minds to say, God, yes, sift through me, do what you need to do, because I'm so thankful that you're my Savior, and I want to be more like you. And it's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.